2: big screen treatment for tale of American clown threatening everyone's life and general well-being like we don't see enough of that every day on the news. Wind River, Avengers Assemble as Renner and Olson team up to right some wrongs. It's a murder mystery on a reservation, but do we have some of our own? And film club, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Must see, marvellous, or maybe just middling, we get your views on a cult movie in a very real sense. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us. Who's in today? Adam Woodward's in. Hello. And we're joined for the first time by Nadia Latif. Hiya. Hi,
1: Nadia. Where do you hail from? Uh, around the corner, which is why I think I'm here. I'm just uh, really easy to get to. Oh, fantastic. Okay, you you part of the, the broader Little White Lies family? Uh, I'm not. I'm actually a theatre director and a film director. Get out but of here. sometimes I like to write things about how I'm angry about films. And so that's why I'm here, I think. All right. Are you angry about the films that we're looking at today? I've got a couple of reservations about a couple of them. but uh, Yeah. All right. Okay.
2: Are you... Where do you stand, Nadia, broadly speaking, on boat chases? The reason I ask this is that uh, our friend the Futurist started a big conversation, well, he's it's largely it's a monologue because he's the only one doing it, about boat chases uh, with a, a 70s movie called Puppet on a Chain, an old Alastair Maclean thriller uh, set in Amsterdam. And indeed Amsterdam seems to be, or indeed Dutch cities, seem to be very much the central motif because here's Stuart Jones who says, I want to mention my personal favourite boat changes from Dick Maas his 1988 darkly humorous slasher, these are his words, Amsterdamed. Oh, Did you wow. ever see that? No,
0: I missed that one. All oh, right, <laughs>
2: well, you missed and it's sensational. I mean, he very kindly posted a link. Mm. And it, it, as he says, it, it's a sensational example of the genre, employing such classic tropes as a, a character falling in the water after attempting to get on the boat just as it's speeding off, uh, angry tourists getting splashed, an eight-man rowing boat getting torn in two, very nice, which is kind of the speedboat equivalent, as he points out, of removal men wheeling a large item across the road during a car chase, which this film also has during the boat chase. And they've got two leaps over land in boats and a, uh, a floating elderly elderly brass band getting involved in the mix. If you're excited by boat chases, do let us know, listeners, otherwise we can, we can just close this here and now. Um, but, I mean, for me, it all began with that amazing one in Live and Let Die. Do you remember
0: yeah, I've. That's not my favorite. I mean, my favorite. What's your favorite one? It's not really a boat chase, but my favorite boat scene is probably from Cape Fear. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, the rapids. Which is a, it's as a chase element to it. Mm.
2: Okay. Yeah. Now, do, anything you want to add on boat chases, or I should just move on?
1: Uh, no, I think you should uh, move on move rapidly. Move
2: on. Because the other big news this week, alongside that with the boat chase, is Colin Trevorrow getting kicked off or leaving by mutual. Hmm. By a mutual decision, uh, Star Wars 9. Now, a lot of people have said this is a worrying trend that most of the Star Wars films under Disney's auspices have seen some kind of either reshoots or, or radical changes in, in who's helming them. I must admit that I rather regarded this as very good news after sitting through Colin Trevorrow's last film, A Book of Henry.
0: Yes, yeah, so it looks like the Lucasfilm uh, execs finally got around to watching that. Ah, I like this, this tweet from Silas Lesnick who says, Colin
2: Trevorrow isn't directing Star Wars, but he left incredibly precise notes so that Naomi Watts can do the job herself. There you go. Hey. <laughs> anyway, who would you like to see uh, take over?
1: Do you know what? I think there's like any number of really able white men who could probably do that Ah. job. Uh, You know, I think Rian Johnson is like the logical person to take over and just do two movies. Uh, But I'm going to throw it out there that I'd quite like Cary Fukunaga to Mm. take a pop at it. I think he's shown that he can kind of do scale. Who Um, who did the first season of True Detective? Yes, exactly. And
2: who's also involved in one of our films this week. Indeed. Right. Okay. Interesting shout. What about you, Adam? Do you have any? Strong feelings?
0: Uh, not particularly. I kind of feel like with the with the Star Wars movies now, it doesn't really matter who's directing them. Like, I saw a lot of people saying, you know, anyone but a, a white man should direct this new film, and throwing out names like Ava Duvernay and Barry Jenkins. And I no, just yeah. thought, why Barry Jenkins just won an Oscar? Like, why would he want to make a Star Wars movie? But well, why wouldn't he? Well,
1: I don't want to make a Star Wars movie. I, I think I think, that, I think it's, it's, film. G- it's generally really? yeah,
0: it's generally sort of. I'll do it. Yeah, it seems it seems tough to actually get one of these ma- movies made and retaining your kind of creative uh, Don't freedom on it. Star Wars. Do you know who I'd like to see do it? Go on. Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron. Cuaron. Yeah.
2: yeah, I just told you that.
0: I think he's... <laughs> you know
2: why? Or Go do you on. know why? Maybe you do know why.
0: No, please okay. tell me. Because,
2: all right, he directed the third Harry Potter film, which was so far and away the best... Of the film series, is that Prisoner of Azkaban? It is the Prisoner of Azkaban, and he imbued it with such a there was such a kind of texture throughout, and the way he handled the story and the drama, and it was a complicated story, but he he brought attention and a and a and a bite to that plot, which mm. I thought was entirely absent, almost entirely absent from most of the other films. They're not without their merits for what they are, but three is head and shoulders above. By the others, and I was always curious as to why they didn't invite him back for four. Mm. I'm probably speaking out of term, but apparently it's because cause he's a proper director, and previously they had Chris Columbus in the hot seat. Uh, the uh, young actors were rather more comfortable with Chris Columbus uh, and his easygoing attitude, as opposed to Quaron, who said, No, that wasn't good enough. Go again and go again until you get it right. And apparently, afterwards, there's an element of the cast saying, We're not working with that fella. No. It's no. too much like hard work. See, this is
0: the thing with Star Wars, though. Like, Ron Howard is doing this Han Solo spin off movie. Mm. He'll probably do a, a fine job. We'll come in without without kind of bringing too much ego to it and we'll just get on with the job. And, you know, he, he knows how to make a movie on that scale. And whether or not it's like the greatest Star Wars movie ever, so what? He's, he's going to be, you know, at the reins the kind of director they need at that point i think just okay. to kind of make i mean this is a bit more of an unknown quantity i guess that film but uh for star wars episode nine you know if they don't go with someone like rian johnson who i'd be surprised if it wasn't him actually uh i just think yeah it, it's a nice thing to for people to talk about it's a nice discussion point right uh, rian johnson who's uh brick and then what was the was it jump not jumper. he did looper
2: looper which I wasn't as impressed by, but everyone's apparently very positive about The Last Jedi, which is going to be dropping ever so soon, but not quite soon enough for some. All right. If you'd like to get in touch, our email address is truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. You can find us on Twitter at LWLies, or there's the Facebook page. And if you'd like to come along and see us in person, we will be in the flesh Sunday the 17th of September at the London Podcast Festival it's Truth of Movies live tickets are available for our show which starts at 9.30 conveniently enough that Sunday evening at King's Place uh, tickets you can get from their website Adam
0: mm. and we're doing that uh, around Close Encounters of the Third Kind isn't that right. say, Yeah, doing a bit of a spielberg excellent, alright, I'll tell you what we're doing now
1: it... My grandfather thinks this town is cursed, he says that all the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing, an evil thing that feeds off the people of Dairy. But it can't be one thing, we all saw something different, maybe, or maybe it knows what scares us most and that's what we see.
0: I I, I saw a leper,
1: He, he was like a walking infection, but you didn't because it isn't real. None of this is. None of this makes any sense. They're all like bad dreams. I don't think so. I know the difference between a a bad dream and real life, okay? We're all afraid of something.
0: Got that right. Hi Rich, what are you afraid of?
1: Clowns.
2: (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha! Indeed so. This is the Stephen King classic, uh, all about summer in 1989 as a group of children in Derry, Maine, bullied kids, band together to take care of business because the adults won't, uh, business being a demonic clown that's hunting children in their town. Uh, Nadia, you went to see this at Frightfest.
1: Yes, it was me and 350 horror nuts and a lot of red balloons and free beer. Wow. Yeah. I don't know who I was more scared of, to be honest. <laughs>
2: well, did you enjoy
1: the film? Do you know, I went in with such low expectations. So Why? I, I hadn't, the last time I saw the film was The Weekend of the Queen's Jubilee. Was mm. this the second time? You... Um, no, that was when I saw the original film. And uh, and I remember it because I remember when I saw the original being like, this film is pretty shonky, actually. It's not scary in the slightest. The old TV series. Uh, the old TV you... series. Right. Or, um, yeah, it's sort of in two parts and it's mm. far too long and, of course, Tim Curry. Uh, so I went in with, like, less than zero expectations. And I've got to say I was really pleasantly surprised I had a really fun evening did you yeah I had a great old time is it gonna enter the great like pantheon of horror movies probably not did it leave any like lasting impression on me probably not mm-hmm. did I have an absolute who yes I did did you okay <laughs> did you find it in any way scary yeah I think what this film uh, does is it's really got no uh, like desire to create some like lasting unease uh, it just goes scare 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 if we mm. can get 50 like shock scares and did they in- work for you yeah, I mean I did a bit of kind of like hiding behind things. The leper scared the crap out of me. Really? You know, oh yeah, leper with no nose, that's the stuff of real nightmares. Okay. Um, did you find do you find it funny the film? I did find it funny. I mean I think actually I don't know like whose writing hand it is that kind of went I'm gonna go for fairly gross preteen sex comedy. And I thought it kind of worked. I was like, "Yeah, I kind of believe these like really blasé, jolly kids." And mm. I think they all look like they're having a great old time doing it as well. Mm. Interesting, Adam. What, what did you make of it?
0: Yeah, it's it's clearly going for that Stranger Things tone, and it's a it,
2: it's a genre. It's called the analog
0: kids on bikes genre. Of course, it's an actual yeah. thing. Yeah, I think uh, my colleague uh, David, in his review, referred to it as Spilberbia, which I like. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, it's 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 interesting in that. Stranger Things obviously borrows so much from Stephen King, hmm. but then this this film is doing the same. It's kind of taking from Stranger Things itself in terms of the the way it's shot and the kind of camaraderie between the kids, really even amplifying that humour. Yeah, there's even a, a cast member who who people recognise from Stranger Things who plays the kind of yeah he's the, he's the like the jokey banterous one. Um, and I think that the film's real strengths lie in in those those scenes between the kids and. Hmm. You know them trying to work out what's going on and sticking together, and then being kind of torn apart, and ultimately coming back together again. And there's there's a point in the film I think which you kind of feel could they, could they just have ended it here? You know this is what it's all been building towards, and it goes on for about another half an hour from that point. And actually, I think the fact it does that uh, is fully justified by the end of the film. Do you think so? Oh yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Um, I I tweeted a hot take afterwards. Oh yeah. Missing two letters from the title. I really, I really, <laughs> and, it, and it, 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 any number of suggestions. But it could have been ex. Yeah,
0: like well, I mean, you don't, you don't fare well with horror.
2: What well, you see to, now? This is the thing. You've sat next to me at screenings. I scare easy.
0: I've sat next to you in in non horror films, and yeah. you've leapt out of your chair. Yeah,
2: I, I mean, I screamed. I stood up and screamed in Peewee's Big Adventure. Oh yeah, Large Marge. Yeah, yeah, but. I didn't get scared. There was maybe one jump in this film for me. I mean, obviously, they assemble a lot of horror elements, classic scare manoeuvres, but it was a bit like, I don't know, a theme park ride. Mm. You know, they they strap you in and away you go and then something lurched out of the darkness at you. But it was all very mechanical. I never got any kind of buzz off it. The the kind of coming of age element, the Stand By Me Kingian theme to it, work reasonably well, but I didn't find it particularly funny and I, I really didn't find it scary. So as such, I
0: was just left pining for stranger things. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say I was particularly scared by yeah. it. Uh, it's exhilarating. All day, well, in t- just in terms of like the jump scare manoeuvres it's employing. Yeah, But then I am someone who's sort of quite desensitised to sort of mainstream horror movies just through having been exposed to them at a very tender age. And you know, I, I often think, well, I'm sure other people will be scared by this, even if I'm not necessarily jumping mm. out of my seat. And to me, the, the actually terrifying stuff in the film was the less direct horror stuff, the more thematic stuff. For so, example,
2: The Abusive Father.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, this is basically a film about, you know, the fear of growing up mm. and becoming your parents. Uh, and the adults in this film are terrifying mm. really genuinely terrifying
2: well that's interesting because i'm not sure if the, if i got that from the i think it's a very interesting angle to the movie I, i'm not sure if that necessarily came across to me i on that subject I, I do find it a bit weird and this is a tie-in i guess with book of henry again uh, this this idea of having uh, a sexually abusive father mm. as a used as a plot device in a horror movie it, we, we saw it in book of henry it's used here and it just seemed really Indelicate, out of place. I don't know
1: what the yeah, appropriate. is. I mean, would I think be. the the film skips over a bunch of like things where I'm like, actually, I think that's a really cheap shot, and mm. I think parental abuse is one of them. I think that the way that it deals with race, it kind of just like skirts over it. Right, well, oh, let's talk
2: about that because one of the characters in this is,
1: yeah, yeah. the sort of token black, you know, magical negro. Uh, and if you don't know what a magical negro is, just think every part that Morgan Freeman's ever played. Um, you know, who just kind of turns up to be the muscle and give a bit of kind of like mystical background. Uh, and actually, as you pointed out in the original TV series, he's supposed to be the kid who has like all the knowledge, like he's done all the research. And in mm. this, he's just kind of the muscle farmhand, I think. Mm. And so yeah, it does skip over that, but then it is this kind of kid's vision of the world, right? Like yeah. all of the adults are grotesque and, you know, terrifying. And actually, I think the thing that it does best is the bullies. I found the bullies mm. scary, you know, these endlessly pursuing monstrous boys who are just violent. I was like, this is actually the stuff of nightmares to me. It
2: reminded me of how much scarier I found Dazed and Confused, say, than, than, than this. It is Dazed and G- Confused, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Dazed and Confused. And in fact, this was my issue, and clearly this isn't one that you guys share, but I just thought everything I'd seen in this film, whether it was kids riding around on bikes or going to quarries or any of that, or even The Clown, I'd seen done better elsewhere. And. And I, I'm amazed, because I'm so easily scared, and clowns are usually so scary, how, I, the whole kind of, what's it called, coulrophobia, the, the irrational fear so, of... Yeah, something like that, yeah, like cholerophobia. Cholerophobia. Yeah. How little impact the clown made. Did you feel, with your knowledge of clowns and their kind of, their, their psychic potential to disturb, um, did you feel that they made enough of, of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think actually the one thing that I've got to really commend about this movie is I think it looks classy as hell. I think the cinematography is great. I mm-hmm. think the production design is awesome. I think the costume design is mega. And so actually I think it looks like a much better film than it probably is in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, and that's cool. You know, And I think it's lucked into a lot of things. I think it's lucked into this look. I think it's lucked into those performances. So in a way, it's a lot better than it should be. It's also like a really... Cheap, like we're going to make a sequel type movie as well. Like, we're just going to set you up for right. the second half. And so, you're like, but for all of those things, I just think the fact that you have a nice time watching it is not to be underestimated like I said to a friend afterwards I was like don't go to the cinema and watch it maybe but like next Halloween totally watch it on DVD like a
2: hoot. What kind of number would that represent do you think in terms of a recommendation would that be a three or just a high two? That would be a three. Okay so in terms of expectations you were low, zero. Is there a minus
1: five on expectations? Really?
2: (laughs) Okay and then around about a two and now? Yeah three pleasantly
1: surprised actually.
2: Adam, there's probably something else you wanted to add before we got into your scores.
0: I, I can give my scores now if you
1: All like. All right,
2: go for it.
0: I, I would go for sort of two for the and for anticipation. Although I, I actually didn't realise that Kari Fukunaga had written the helped out on the screenplay mm. for this. So yeah, maybe if I'd have known that before, it might have bumped it up to well, a three. Well, I think but...
1: you've also got to think about why Kari Fukunaga is not directing this movie, right? And yeah, but why isn't say- he directing? Oh, this well, song? he dropped out. He was going to write and direct it, and then there was the eponymous Creative Differences. Oh, really? Um, he was and-
0: attached to it along, along maybe like three or four years ago almost, and um, I just assumed he'd completely stepped away from the project. I don't know how. Essentially, they've probably reused some of his initial script draft, but okay, I don't know how involved he was in the project. So but-
2: it, it it went to Andy Muschietti, who's an Argentine director. I'm not familiar with his his work
1: particularly. Maybe there was it 2013. He made Mama, yeah. which is mm. a, like a pretty decent Guillermo del Toro light yeah. horror. film. It means, yeah, it's a decent film. It's got Jessica Chastain in it, which is quite a pleasant surprise. Mm. Um, it's fine. I just heard that he's making a Dracula prequel as his next movie. Who Muschietti? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Which I a Dracula, Dracula prequel? Yes. This we, time, you know, before he's dead, I guess. I don't know, but, but that, I heard that on the grapevine yesterday. Interesting. So my so my enjoyment
0: score. Yes. And my in retrospect score, will probably be four for this. Really? Yeah. Because even though I wasn't particularly scared, I think there's so much that this film does right. I mean, all the stuff that Nadia listed earlier. Um, Have you not been listening to a word I said? No, now? I'm sorry. I disagree with you on this one. Uh, I can understand what, you know, I think it is a film which sells itself on its ability to scare you. And I, th- I think if it doesn't do that then yeah, maybe you, you can't score it that highly. But I almost wasn't expecting it to scare me, uh, and it didn't particularly, so I was I was more interested and excited by the other stuff.
2: Okay. I mean, I don't want to spoil the surprises, but the clown's inability to actually do the bad stuff it was supposed to be doing, I found a major letdown. I would, I would say that I had quite high expectations, which may not be unconnected with the fact that I didn't enjoy it very much. I thought it was like four or something going in, two, and still a two... And that's there you go. So you you've got a sixty six point six percent chance of enjoying this film.
0: Bill Skarsgård is very good as. Mm. as Did you it. think so? I think so. Yeah. It's it's a tough one because it's always going to be compared to Tim Curry. It's such an iconic mm. uh, horror iconic? villain. Is it I think so. I
1: think we've misremembered it, man. Seriously, nostalgia does funny things to the brain.
0: Maybe, but even so, even through that and nosta- lens of nostalgia, I think people recognise that that character and that performance, and you know. He's kind of given it his all in this one. It's not particularly yeah, subtle but performance, but of, I like, I like the, the way they have seen the about... character to life. I like all the subtle stuff. They don't use a lot of CGI in this movie, but yeah. there's, little, there's little things like his eye kind of dropping off to one side. Right, and... which apparently is, is genuinely,
2: that's his eye doing it. <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously, that, apparently that's not that's, CGI. That's something that he does. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. And next up, we'll see how much we agree or not about Wind River.
1: I you're looking for clues, but you're missing all the signs. Come here, let me show you. See this here? This is a sled track, right? Okay. You see out here on the ridge? You'll see it a lot easier there. You see those tracks go up that mountain there?
0: Yeah,
1: I see it. All right. his body was found just past there, right? So someone unloaded a sled right here, drove all the way out there. There's no tracks coming back. Why is that? I'm telling you answers are out there hey look
0: um i don't know how to do this okay i'm not a tracker it's okay
1: it's all i do look they asked me to help you right yeah we should go while i still can
2: there you go Uh, jeremy Renner and elizabeth olsen Teammates in the Marvel Universe and avenging in a very real sense here as well in this story. uh, A murder mystery set on a Native American uh, reservation in Wintry, Wyoming. Uh, Renner is a US Fish and Wildlife Service agent. Not familiar with that branch of the... uh, He's a tracker. He's a tracker, yeah. And he's tracking a lion that had been feeding on local cattle when he stumbles upon something altogether darker. Adam. Yes,
0: yes. We, well, we saw this together. Yes, and had a, had a right old ding dong after the screening about the with a scrap on the streets. About just about the fact that so the film opens with a a title card that says based on actual events.
2: Yeah, which immediately you got upset about, and it, <laughs> Nadia apparently you do too. I wasn't oh, yeah. I
0: wasn't upset uh, by it, but I think in this instance it's quite a, a lazy get out clause for a film like this to deploy. It's basically saying, well, if it is based on actual events, what do you want it to say? Well, it doesn't need to say it. I think if you know you're writing a, a screenplay based on actual events, mm. you should you, the quality of your writing should be good enough to do ju- mm. do justice to those events. And, but and if
2: I told you an amazing story and that story also happened to be true, wouldn't you want me to add that detail in? And by the
0: way, all that actually happened. But all films are based on. To some To some extent based yeah, on yeah but that 's not what or... they
2: mean by this it 's not like this is something that is based on the fact that there are humans who do things like kill people so, this is based on an actual incident that took place in wyoming
0: so we, we should also say that the the film is set on a Native American reservation mm-hmm. in Wyoming and it's kind of bookended by these two factual tidbits and right. the, the final thing, yeah, no. which I won't spoil, but basically it gives the statistic relating to Native American women.
2: Now that I completely agree with, and we, we can maybe come on to that later on because that's right at the end of the film. Yeah, And I, I do agree there's an issue with that, but what did you make of the kind of 90 minutes
0: in between? <laughs> the night in between. I think it, for me, it really ebbs and flows. There's there's moments where I was really really with this film, really enjoying it as a sort of slightly icy noirish crime mystery thriller. I think it, the characters. Maybe let it down a little bit. Jeremy Renner as yeah, as, as we were sort of said, the the token white saviour figure. It's just frankly not that interesting. I don't think as a character. There's there's a lot of dialogue and posturing and and everything. Everything is telling you that he's this really mysterious, he's interesting, being guy. soulful Adam. I'm sure soulful stuff. That. Yeah, he he does channel the sort of Native American mysticism, mm-hmm. while those characters are kind of relegated to the sidelines a lot. And I mean, Elizabeth Olsen is is a terrific actor, and I think someone who it's it's nice to see an actor of that stature not just making Marvel movies actually you know doing something like this uh, and ditto Jeremy Renner actually as well but I think you could effect- effectively write her out of this movie and it wouldn't actually change it that much Yeah, it would change the focus slightly but her character is just there to be told what to do uh, to essentially play the victim later on as well uh, or, or be put in a position of, of being a victim um, yeah she's essentially there to be saved which is a bit of a yeah, a bit of a troublesome thing, So
2: this movie ebbed and flowed, you were with it, you were without it. Mm. How
0: did you end up on it? Uh, I I, end- I ended up probably having more reservations with it than than positives to say about it.
1: Okay. Now, dear, dare I ask what you made of it? I am refusing to call this uh, film by its real title, and I'm only going to refer to it as uh, White Saviour Complex, the Sub-Zero edition. Uh, I mean, I just kind of my mind boggled that this film got greenlit it smacks of kind of Oscar campaign from Jeremy Renner who's like you know third time lucky if I play this kind of deeply meaningful part where I just sort of spout semi-mystic Bon Mo Um, my favourite bit of the movie actually uh, is where one of the Native American characters who doesn't even get a name uh, it must be said uh, you know Jeremy Renner's trying to tell him about you know we have to respect this land and it's all that we have and he just turns to him and goes what's this we s*** And actually that was the tone in the film that I suddenly was like, oh my God, this film understands that it's really problematic to have two white people basically solving problems in the Native American reservation. But then it kind of never surfaces again, that tone. So I wonder if it was kind of a fluke. I mean... Besides the fact that all the Native Americans are relegated and barely have names and are just there to be saved or to be drunk or to be drug addicts, I actually find the Elizabeth Olsen presence in it really problematic. I'm like, A, it's naff. It's this kind of 90s throwback. Let's get the green female agent in and you know she totters in in high heels in the first scene, despite the fact she's come to Wyoming because clearly that she's a woman, she's an idiot, right? She's sort of arbitrarily kind of a romantic interest at some point, although that's never... you read into it,
2: that's never actually directly no, shown I, you or... No,
1: at the end you're sort of like, is she supposed to be... And also she's incompetent. And so I was like, like, I don't get why she's... Why can't she be good at her job? Can I just in, interject there? The, the romantic element is
0: interesting because I, I was assuming that Jeremy Renner was almost going to represent like a surrogate father figure to her because there is a thing in this film about daughters and fathers mm. and it's like a recurring theme. And yeah, that doesn't really materialise either and, and nor does the romantic stuff oh, yeah. between them. She's so, also
1: got no backstory. Don't know who she is. She turns up, there's no backstory, and then she kind of bogs off. Well, yeah, but end. that's the
2: same thing that you're saying is lacking.
1: Oh, I see. You're saying that, yeah, because she's a woman,
2: she doesn't get a backstory.
1: Yeah, yeah well, nobody in this movie gets any backstory besides Jeremy Renner. And actually, he's just not that interesting. Well,
2: it's funny you say that because uh, is it Jill or Gil Birmingham playing uh, Martin Hansen, mm. who does get a backstory and isn't just there to be drunk or take drugs. He does actually have a an active role in in, in the emotional drama because this, this film has, it's got its kind of police procedural on action side but it's also got a, a kind of an emotional side to it and much as I suppose as, as in Hell or High Water where Taylor Sheridan uh, is also to a degree touching on the kind of economic misery and the, the motivations that spill out of that for the action which which then unfolds. Here there's a lot of talk about uh, mourning and loss and how to deal with it which well, I saw
1: was reasonably interesting and well handled I oh, no, the scene where he turns up and the two fathers you know hold each other and weep is yeah. really touching and actually that's the movie I wanted it to be about which just about how communities deal with grieving yeah. actually and what that means to lose a member of such a small community it never resurfaces well, he, he, you get a lot of shots of Jeremy Renner about to cry, which I think he
2: does really well. I didn't know he could do that quite Quite the kind well. of
0: near, cry near crying,
2: Near-crying, but still kind of holding it together because he's a tough guy. I don't know. Taylor Sheridan, there was a lot of interest in this film because it's his, his first proper directorial job, is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And he, previously he did Sicario, which everyone was wowed by, me a bit less, but... My, and what I thought was a terrific film, Hell or High Water. And... I think he does a pretty good job directing this. I think he gets great performance out of Jeremy Renner and, and the, the police chief and Jill Birmingham. And uh, I guess Elizabeth Olsen, as you say, is is this kind of slightly kind of Clarence, Clara Starling, whatever her name is. Clarice. Yeah. Oh, Clarice, Clarice I wish.
1: Starling. Oh, my God, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Imagine she turned up and known everything, how awesome this film would have been. Imagine
0: if she'd have turned up and bought a coat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that would have been
1: well. It's based on real events, so they, they can't help it if she turned out well, well, exactly. Yeah, I think it's anyway. convenient when real events mean that men write women as idiots. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you know what I mean though with that whole based on
0: actual events thing? In that, no, totally. It just it's. it's I don't
2: have an issue with that, but um, we will come on to the other the other thing, which I think is more. But
1: the point of that is like it's like it's trying to give emotional resonance to a movie yeah. that actually hasn't written that into the script. Where you go, but it's real, so you have to be sad. And I'm like, well, it's not. Like specifically based on an event, it says based on some events, right?
2: Well, I would assume, and you're right, it is slightly am- ambiguous or even ambivalent.
1: This story has this happened is... to someone somewhere. No, I I'm assume like, well, they course. mean slightly slightly more than that. I think that one of the uh, things in this movie is about how it really underuses the things that it actually has within it. And can I just say how gutted I was when John Burns turned <laughs> up and I realised he was only going to be in five minutes of the movie. Oh, you wanted him in oh, more? Oh my god, I love him so much. I was like, he's going to have this big movie moment because he he's mainly a TV actor and then it's all over in five minutes and I was Absolutely gutted.
2: Yeah, I was, I was thrilled when he. Well, we it. kind of turned to each other, and went, "Oh, there we are Here's the John Burntolle yeah, yeah. he's in so much. Yeah, he's but, he, but
1: he's never had that moment, has he? He's never had like his big film moment. And I was like, maybe this? nope no, he's uh, he's I think gone. He mm. gets
0: to do his John Burntolle thing. It's great. It's it's very yeah. It's like a, a kind of. See, compact John Burnthorpe mm, performance. A little dose of that. I, I would
2: accept this is a much more straightforward film than than either Sicario or Hell or High Water is. It does conform to one or two or several probably kind of Hollywood stereotypes, as you say, like the white savior or whatever. But no more so than pretty much any other thriller out there certainly any tom cruise film or anything like that and i and i thought that taylor sheridan did bring some other elements to this i totally agree with you though that and this is this business about what it says at the end when it produces a stat about native americans to suggest and this is why we made the film and this is the issue we're trying to we're trying to shed some light on and it's it's crazy to pretend that's what your film about is when when it's actually not been about that it's been about how badass Jeremy Renner is with a with a rifle
0: that really left a sour taste actually I think mm. that that final message because the film is not told from the perspective of those victims or that community really it's set within the community but it's not trying to offer any kind of resolution or answers there at all I thought I thought that was actually quite uh, yeah negligent on the part of uh, Taylor Sheridan mm.
2: all right Adam
0: scores yes yeah, I'd say th- probably three, three, two for this. Just the th- the three for enjoyment. There, you know, if you if you just approach it as a sort of taut, uh, yeah, frosty thriller, mm. it is enjoyable on yeah. some level. It's, it's, a competent it's competently thriller, isn't it? made. Yeah. yeah, you just have to not engage with all the other difficult stuff <laughs> that the film does uh, or is about. So, yeah,
1: no idea. I think I had a four going into this. I love a kind of like 90s, early noughties detective film. So, you know, I was kind of hoping for one of those. And in part, you do get that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would argue the crime in it is not complicated enough, which maybe would have helped it it if it had been, you know, the bad guys are kind of introduced and you're like, who are these guys? What? Don't care. And so that was slightly disappointing. But um, enjoyment, maybe. I mean I just particularly that sound note at the end you're just like well that's it. I think I actually I was so cross I nearly threw my water bottle (laughs) at the screen but I just nothing in this movie conquered the reservations that I had about it.
2: Okay and you made an interesting uh, comment about Jeremy Renner using you, it's comparing him to Spud, and you said you, you would rather see Michael Shannon. How amazing uh, Michael Shannon would be! Jeremy
1: Renner, you are a poor man's Michael Shannon. Like I, get Michael Shannon in this movie. Really? Rewrite for the me. Movie. They're such different things. Michael Shannon is just. He's out there, and Michael Shannon is a good actor. Jamie Renner is a terrible actor. Do you not think he did well in this? No, I think he's trying. To, he's doing a really good performance of a performance in this film. Like he's, you know, he's thinking, man, if I could just be like Michael Shannon, this movie's going to be great. Isn't it just that Michael Shannon's got really scary eyes that make you think there's <laughs> mad things going on in there? Yeah, it helps. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, my numbers for what they're worth. After all of that, I had no expectations going in because I didn't know anything about the film. Really enjoyed it as a tour. As you say, slightly derivative thriller, one that actually had some kind of emotional resonance and some things to say about an issue, in this case, how to deal with loss. Uh, so I'd say four at the time and three afterwards because you guys have talked it down so much. <laughs> anyway, I'd still <laughs> say we're, go we're and see through. it. We're getting through. Get, yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyway, that is Wind River. And next up, it's another Elizabeth Olsen flick as we uh, re-enter the Little White Lies Film Club. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price.
1: Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the
0: perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
1: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: You've got a really nice place here. It's as much yours as it is mine. I thought you quit. I did. I worry for you. I know. I'm sorry.
1: I thought I apologize to me. It's your body.
2: Zoe. Look after this girl.
0: For once in her life, she deserves some real care. I will. She's been great. Everyone's been really great. Good. Martha. You look like a Marcy May.
2: Marcy was my grandmother's name. Wow. There you go. (laughs) Little White Lies Film Club, everybody, in which, we're together now, we watch a classic film, a film you may have missed, or one that's worth reappraising. This week, with Elizabeth Olsen starring role in Wind River, we went back and dug out her debut role in the 2011 psychological thriller Martha Marcy May Marlene, in which she plays a young woman, idea, Haunted. And damaged, it's fair to say, by painful memories and apparent paranoia who's struggling to kind of reassimilate herself with her family after fleeing an abusive cult. And amongst listeners who went back and watched it with us, what are the comments?
0: Yeah, Wayne Edge uh, writes in to say, just finished watching Martha Marcy May Marlene. And what a fantastic watch. I found it very claustrophobic. The audio in the film was excellent and told the story. Unbelievable debut from Elizabeth Olsen and great performances all around.
2: Especially he had John Hawkes, who I found very believable. Yeah. Mm.
1: Ian Gilchrist uh, said, I'd watch John Hawkes read the phone book. Where's he been?
2: I don't know. Well, he did he Bone,
1: been? Bone, uh, Winter's Bone. Yes. Oh, he was excellent in that. Also set in the Catskills. Oh. Ah. Yeah. And also, he did he do that movie where he plays a paraplegic or a quadriplegic? Yes. With Which um, I forget Kevin the name Hunt? of now. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but there was a, a thing about that. He's great, though, isn't he? Oh, he's, I, I would watch him reading the phone book. Yeah, reading anything, honestly. Um, would you
2: watch him as a tracker in the wintry wastes of Wyoming?
1: Give me a drink and I might. All right, it's okay. Ben Keeler uh, said, Great, great film. Been recommending it since I first saw it. What's Sean Durkin been up to since Southcliffe? Last I heard, he was doing a Janis Joplin biopic. Right, is that right? Yeah, I've heard that, and I've also heard that he's been working on an adaptation of Little House on the Prairie for a long while. Long-awaited adaptation of allowed some and the Barrera. Indeed. But he's also recently become a dad, so I think he's been doing okay. that as well. So
2: this was his debut picture.
1: Yes. Which I is mean, pretty remarkable, no? Yeah, so I think the boys at Borderline, so he's part of a trio of filmmakers with Antonio Campos and Josh Mond, and they had been working in a really kind of democratic fashion, actually, where one of them would make a movie and the other two would produce it, but also do smaller jobs to make cash mm. to make the movie. Ooh. And so this was Borderline's second film. He'd produced it on the first one, which was After School. And so he's been working with Borderline, but not had a directorial credit with them since then mm. uh, but this Little House on the Prairie uh, adaptation is apparently going to be his next one for them right? Okay, um, but this film's of course uh, based on a short that he took to Cannes I think a couple of years before that which actually has Brady Corbett who's in this movie in it and that won I think best short film that year and got them their deal with Fox Searchlight so he is kind of responsible for them stepping up a gear I would say
2: nice one well it's a magnificently and very surely handled uh, film this any other comments you'd like to throw out? Um, I've got Tom Doro here who who, who says the title refers to the songs Marlene and Marcy's song by Jackson C. Frank. I was not familiar with Jackson C. Frank was a contemporary of Paul Simon on the 1960s folk scene in in London, intriguingly. But while Paul Simon went on to huge success, of course, Jackson C. Frank ended up in, well, he died in obscurity, penniless and, and homeless. But a couple of songs in this are actually... Patrick, the, the the cult leader plays uh, Marlene it's a very Marcy's song and that is a, a John C. Frank a very haunting number too
0: Yeah, I'm really glad we picked this uh, given you know Elizabeth Olsen's uh, role and what she has to do in Wind River because this is just such a uh, yeah, it's more, um, far meatier role for her. Right. And uh, I actually, saw this film in um, the Cannes Film Festival in 2011 mm-hmm. in the Uncertain Regard strand, which is kind of, one of the the secondary competition where they put the lesser known directors and people who make weird weirder stuff. Uh, and what does it actually translate as Uncertain Regard? I guess it's a certain look, look or a certain point of view or Basically something.
1: Basically trying to say, so give this film a squiz. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, you find all sorts of, sort of weird and wonderful and undiscovered stuff in there. And I, I watched this film and actually then did uh, an interview with uh, Elizabeth Olsen on, on the beach with a sort of collection of uh, journalists, international journalists. And yeah, it was very uh, depressing, actually, because... You could tell she was very excited to be there and uh, not yet jaded by the industry, and, and very keen to kind of talk about the, f- the film and the role. And uh, people were just asking her about her sister's yeah. uh, fashion collection and, and all this. So it was, it was disappointing, but yeah, right. uh, she, when she did speak about the role, it was it was yeah it was really interesting hearing a kind of young actor starting out really speaking with such uh, maturity and, and uh, authority on on like the character and you know the performance it was yeah
2: qualities that she's brought to the Scarlet Witch in abundance
0: well exactly yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: David Skur says love this film David actually wrote in a, a much longer one as well but the short version is it's an underrated US indie one of the best directorial debuts from Durkin one of the best acting debuts from Olsen and one of the best open endings discuss please but that ending okay so What does it mean? And, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched it, go away, watch it, come back, and now continue. Nadia, what does the ending mean?
1: Do you know, I when I rewatched this movie recently, I have always felt like the ending like, wasn't up for grabs. I was just like, it's clearly about this. And then I watched it with my fat mate, who is an actress, and she was like, it's clearly the opposite. And I was All like, right, ah. So, so what are those two? Um, this and the opposite. So it's whether you think she's actually ever escaped this cult or not. Like whether you think actually she has made it out, and this is a, a film about recovery and healing yourself, right? Or actually, this is a much kind of darker thriller, which is about this awful, awful, very ambiguous cult. And I think that's one of the real strengths of. The films that Mm. actually you never really know what the cult's about Mm -hmm. like it sort of has elements of religion and self-sufficiency and but also capable of like terrible crime and rape um and so yeah there's a version where you think she's made it or there's a version where you think they're going to catch up with her any second now um and i have always just assumed the darker version which may be about my personality but um (laughs) possibly possibly the the ambiguous nature of the cult and that
2: i thought that was one of the really nice things about the film the, the way that the kind of juxtaposition of life in the cult with the mindset of the family that she then rejoins. Yeah. Particularly, and this is the genius move of having the, the priggish English mm. guy in there, which just ramps up the awkward to, to 11.
0: Oh, he's uh, great. And Sarah Paulson as well. Yeah. Course, uh, Sarah Paulson? So
2: neither... you I mean, it never really says, and this is civilization, and that's not, because they both seem, you know, which one makes more sense, which way of living makes more sense. The, the film doesn't really come down on either. Watching it again, I'm pretty convinced that, as you say, she's never actually left or at least she's tried to leave but the fact that she's called them up the fact that her sister's going to take her to an institution she said i cannot be alone and the fact that when they do run into the other cult members on the road she doesn't in any way warn her sister and 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 her partner about them she's just sitting there waiting in the back she is basically returning to the cult with that and 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 offering up the sister as, as a sacrifice in that I think that would be yeah, my I mean, my I take think on that.
1: Given the way that I, you know when I now that I'm Make films myself. I think actually going back and watching this movie and watching the audacious, like daringness of those cuts and mm. how disorienting they are means that you have no real sense of any form of linear time in this movie. You've you know, and actually when I rewatched it, I was like, some of these movies could be set, some of these scenes, sorry, could be set after she goes back to her sister. For all I know, like actually, does she return to the cult? And this is a sort of huh. because you're so and it and it's genius because it's not Sean Durkin being clever; it is reflecting this poor girl's fractured mental state that things make her think of other things and you jump about all over the place. So actually I think the, the whole film really makes you question in a way that's not at all irritating <laughs> what is real. I don't actually trust anything to be real in this film.
2: I think it was also really... Well, I found it interesting that he chose that stretch of story and I know that there's different stretches being melded into one but normally it wouldn't be surprising to see a writer or a director... With a girl escaping from a cult to make a centerpiece of this, the moment when the cult catches up with her again. And the fact that he stops before that moment of high drama,
0: I thought was a really interesting decision. Yeah, he makes a lot of brave choices in this film, I think. Mm.
1: But but also, at its heart, it's a film that asks really meaningful questions about the nature of family and, like, actually, you know, and that's what John Hawkes' character keeps offering, is this whole sense of, uh, we want to be your family. And, you know, and it's a film about two orphan girls and actually seeking parental figures and that's the thing that sits with you like mm. that haunts you for hours after watching it is going you know A, why do nice girls end up in cults like what could she have been running away from and they're all these things that are hinted at but just that really fundamental like yeah like you say this sort of stifling bland middle class existence that she's obviously lived before then like actually what is truer to her and I think there's a beautiful moment where she takes off all her clothes to jump in the lake and you think oh this is really joyous Mm. and then of course her sister comes and covers her up and that for me really sums up and you know the English husband sort of slightly sniffy about it you know Hugh Dancy having a marvellous time but I think that kind of sums up the film actually about like there are really good reasons for people to run away Simmering with tension, slow-paced and ambiguous. This is U.S.
2: indie cinema, far removed from the main street type accustomed to spoon-feeding its audience so it can go on living happily ever after. Uh, that's that David Scur again. He certainly, has, he certainly liked this film, and I, th- I think we share his opinion, Adam.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, I, I hope he likes next week's choice as well. What have we got next week? Next week we're doing Requiem for a Dream uh, in preparation and hopefully celebration uh, from Darren Aronofsky's new film Mother. Mother! Exclamation mark. Ding! Uh, so, yeah, Requiem for a Dream from 2000, I believe. Yeah, amazing film. Amazing film. Jared Leto. Jennifer uh, Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. Mm. Yeah. That, Liz- not, L- L- what's her name? Marlon Wayans as well. Yeah, Marlon. Oh, Wayans. Who Mo- is he? Yeah. A film I haven't seen for a long time, actually. Uh, so and a good. film I'm almost quite petrified to revisit. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, don't. just a word of advice for anyone who hasn't seen it and, and will be doing so for this uh, film club. Don't watch it, you know, late at night on your own or... You know, watch it when you're in a good mood and right. not with your parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or
2: any young ones. No, yes. Most decidedly not. All right, so uh, Requiem for a Dream, uh, one of Aronofsky's finest. We'll also be reviewing his new one. Uh, and and what, what's the other film we're doing next week? Uh, we'll be doing Victoria and Abdul. Ah, interesting. Interesting. A film I know very little about.
0: Yeah, it's Judy Dench as Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. sort of later. Oh, older Queen Victoria. Mm. Rarely, judging
2: by the movies that they keep making about her, has this historical figure been so widely misunderstood as Queen Victoria. I'm just throwing that out there. I haven't seen the film yet, but <laughs> oh, right. that's what I expect to take from that. The image that we have of Queen Victoria mm. and her mindset and the kind of uh, philosophies that she, kind of, she infused her era with seems to be entirely removed from the philosophy she personally lived by. I try to think. That what, seems to be Hollywood's.
0: Message. What was the other? What was the? Who was the queen that Judy Dench played in the one queen with Billy Connolly? Oh, Queen Victoria. Victoria. Is yeah, it? Yeah, Brown, Mrs. Brown exactly. yeah.
1: Mrs. Brown's something.
0: Exactly. Mrs. Brown's boy. Boy. <laughs> I, I think this is this is set sort of after Albert's death. Right. Yes. And is when she's kind of. What I, about him? I mean, clearly there's not much Victorian
2: about what he was getting up to as well.
0: Yeah. There's no anyway. film, No film about him.
1: Yeah. Because there's a story to be told there. I'm sure, yeah. I just feel sad that Judi Dench is running out of queens that she can play. Well, that's why I, mean? I wonder whether, whether, she's
0: played a diff- whether that was a different one, because I thought it's odd that she's played Victoria now twice, and Elizabeth, yep. and probably some others. Probably some others. She's great, though. Yeah. Judy mm-hmm. Dench. We interviewed her many years ago, and during the interview her phone rang, and it was the James Bond theme. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> one of those kind of polyphonic ringtones that we used to have excellent
2: yeah nice nice anyway well that, uh, it's another busy week for us then on uh, truth and movies do get watching that requiem for a dream send your thoughts please to Movies at tcolondon.com or via twitter lwlies or as ever you guys will
1: be putting it out on the facebook page as well. Anything else you'd like to talk about, Nadia, before we disappear into the ether? No, I'm leaving here and I'm going straight to a screening of God's Own Country, which I am really, really excited oh, about. Uh, yeah. So that is my treat to myself today. OK. Yeah, we, we we did that last week and loved it, didn't we? Oh, yeah, very much. I hope you, en- hope you enjoy I'm it. I'm very excited. Thanks. Anticipation, five. Bingo. If I could just
0: slip in a a cheeky plug for uh, our new print edition Oh that's true which is out uh, hopefully at the end of this week starting next week uh, and Call Me By Your Name is the cover film which is possibly my favourite film of the year James is. That's the sound of James leafing through the. Yeah, I mean, it's
2: it's a gorgeous magazine, as you probably know, listeners. Very colourful, and the usual high quality paper stock as well.
0: (laughs) It smells good as well. Have you ever smelled it? It Does it? Does
1: smell good? I often say to people, "Little white lies, worth reading, but more worth sniffing."
0: I mean, the smell unfortunately doesn't. Well, we hope it doesn't transmit through this. Mm. Print's still a little small.
2: Audible medium, but you know. Uh, anyway, yes, yeah, so that's well worth picking up because you'll look like a better person for carrying it around. You'll,
0: you'll look, you'll look more intelligent and yeah. cooler.
2: All right, excellent. Uh, and it's not available in most places, which I think is a good thing.
0: Yeah, it's inv- available in most good places.
2: Ah, perfect. Yeah, uh, excellent. All right, or oh, you could just listen to us. Uh, we'll be back next midweek uh, doing those films. Many thanks, Nadia, for being with us today. Adam, to you as well, and you, listener. We'll see you next week. This has been a Seven Digital production.